Vegas Bad Boys Podcast presents Matt Michaels, People I Don't Hate. Hey everybody, it's Matt Michaels here, and uh, today we're going to do something a little uh, different. Uh, We're going to kind of take a look at what it was like growing up uh, being wrestling fans and uh, some of the experiences that uh, we've had. I got two wonderful guests here. First uh, is the AVN Hall of Famer and uh, a man doing some great work. Uh, you can uh, check out his social media, follow, follow him, Mr. Glenn King. How you doing, brother? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on the greatest wrestling podcast in the world today. It's always a pleasure to be here. You said two great guests, you know, maybe one and me, but still, I'm delighted to be here. And that second uh, person is none other than XPW's own, uh, amongst other uh, wrestling projects and organizations and other uh, projects. You can hear his amazing voice on Mr. Chris Kloss. Kloss, how you doing? Oh, thank you for that. Uh, doing good. And um, first time being on video with you. We've done some audio yeah. stuff. So this is the first video. So I'm excited, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And let's uh, let's quickly start. Glenn, you, where did you grow up? I grew up in Dallas, Texas, home of the Wrestling Von Erics. That's R-A-S-S-I-L-I-N-G, <laughs> Wrestling. We didn't have wrestling over there. Sportorium. World-class championship wrestling. Absolutely. And Chris, where did you uh, grow up? So I'm a SoCal native. I grew up um, kind of all over in the in Southern California, San Fernando Valley, Mar Vista, Venice, Santa Monica. Um, yeah, it's SoCal. And then uh, I was actually, I don't know what we had, but I remember as a young kid, speaking of world-class, um, we actually got world-class where I was, where my dad would, would have it on every once in a while. And I didn't think of it at the time, but I look back on it and I've always, always kind of scratched my head. Like, cause I know a lot of people out here didn't get that at the time. Right. So <clears throat> I don't know. I, I, this was like in the early mid eighties. So I'm thinking like it was, I remember there was a service called on TV, select TV. If you remember way back then, uh, I remember my grandparents had the Z channel. So I bet we did get to see like those LA sports arena shows that they did for a short oh. stint. That was later on, but no, I, I grew up in SoCal and uh, funny that you mentioned there. Um, you guys mentioned world-class. So, <laughs> No, I, I, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because growing up for myself in Chicago, what was really interesting is that it was on uh, the U channels in a syndicated package. Okay. And to me, um, and Glenn, we'll, we'll have your thoughts piggybacking on this and well, jump on in. But for me, when I watched World Class, I got drawn in because of Iceman King Parsons, mm, yeah. the Von Erics, and of course, the Freebirds. Holy crap. What a you know combination of guys. And Kamala would show up. Yeah. Occasionally show up. Brody, you bet. Oh man! Yeah. Hey, and you forgot to mention Gino Hernandez, who had oh. as much charisma as all those guys combined. Really, he was amazing. Yeah, and the hey, and look, and the Boogie Woogie man would make an appearance every once in a while. Oh yeah. my god! Yeah. Speaking of Boogie Woogie, 
We uh, just got joined by uh, SoCal Zone. Phenomenal, Phil Lander. Hey, what's going on, guys? Oh, Chris. How are you? Glenn, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. And this is kind of cool because uh, we were just talking, Phil, a little bit about uh, seeing um, WCCW growing up. Did you get a chance to watch Texas wrestling, the Von Erics, when you uh, were a young fella? Um, only Carrie when he was in the WWF, but uh, I've watched the the great Big Vision uh, documentary about it, and uh, and the WWE documentary about it, and uh, I didn't realize how many like uh, how many people came out of there. Like like Terry Taylor was like a huge deal out there, like, and then he just got kind of red rooster. <laughs> right. Um, so like wasn't Bibiotti and like they were all like kind of big out there and. Junkyard Dog and yep, Jake Jake the Snake. Oh yeah, yeah. Don't forget and uh, oh, uh, the Dingo Warrior, who who later on became Ultimate Warrior. Right. Oh, there we go. Ravishing Rick Rude. Oh yeah, that's another good one. Yeah, a lot Chris, of Chris. I'm loving the Ico Pro in the background. Yeah, man. You that's gotta want cut. it. You gotta want it. Come on. You gotta <laughs> want it. <laughs> Do you remember at WrestleMania eight when they had like Lex Luger? made yeah. an appearance and he was like drinking the milk the, the protein shake and he was going to be like the 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 uh the w what, what was it the wbf the world bodybuilding federation oh <laughs> <laughs> what a joke oh we lost matt oh okay well oh, glenn you're the host now you've taken yeah, over glenn. Now that matters. There you go. Well, shit. Let's talk world class championship wrestling. And when you got to see uh, Kerry Von Erich uh, in the WWE, he was. Hey, everybody. Matt Michaels here. And today we're going to do a little walk down memory lane of being wrestling fans. I am joined by an AVN Hall of Famer, Mr. Glenn King. We got Chris Kloss, the golden voice of Southern California from various wrestling promotions, but especially X. XPW. And speaking of XPW, we have Phil Lander, the phenomenal Phil himself. And um, we're going to talk a little bit about growing up. I grew up in Chicago. Glenn grew up in Dallas. Chris and Phil both grew up in uh, Southern California. And let's start with uh, WCCW. Glenn, you, uh, of course, were in Dallas. You witnessed it firsthand. Phil, Chris and myself all either got it through WCCW on syndication or Phil, uh, his first uh, viewing was uh, Kerry Von Erich in the WWF at the time. Um, who's, you know, to you guys, who stands out from that crew, that era of WCCW? Glenn, what did you like when you grew up about that organization? Well, first thing you got to realize is that it was the phenomenon was not limited to in the ring or on the television. That uh, love of the Von Erichs permeated throughout the entire state of Texas. I mean, they right. were bigger than life celebrities. As a guy that watched the shows, you know, I remember uh, what first caught my eye was they, they had a, a Christmas show. You guys probably are aware of this, but. This is the first time I'd seen anybody run. This is that Santa Claus got in the ring to celebrate with the Von Erichs and then turned on the Von Erichs and attacked them. So the Von Erichs got attacked by Santa Claus, which, of course, turned out to be one of the Freebirds. 
And as a little kid, I was like, holy shit, you know, like, was it Bam Bam? Claus just attacked. Yeah, I think it was, it was Bam Bam, exactly. Yeah, it had to be, yeah. Well, no, I think it was Michael Hayes. Oh, okay, okay. Because I, I remember him jumping up and down and dancing, oh, uh, which it, Bam yeah. Bam wasn't capable of. He was just not a, a guy like that. But, um, but, but I think Michael Hayes then turned on the Von Erichs. There were so many brilliant, creative uh, little skits that they did. Uh, and they just had this amazing combination of people on the show too. Like David Von Erich was probably really the most talented of the Von Erichs. Yeah. He had a feud going with with Jimmy Garvin that was just amazing. Yeah, you know, we would we would watch that. At one point, Jimmy Garvin ended up as David's like valet for a day, and he made him go work on the farm and yeah. shovel, shovel horse poop and stuff like that. Yeah, I remember. I remember those those segments. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the, um, the question I've always wanted to ask somebody who worked for WCCW is who in the hell came up with all that stuff? Gary Hart takes credit for it in the book that he wrote, but I don't think he was around during a lot of those times. So somebody out there was really creative. Chris, um, you're very familiar with WCCW having worked on a, the excellent documentary. Um, fill us in a little bit about the documentary. Uh, as well as uh, maybe you might have that answer to Glenn's question. Well, I know I know Gary Hart was uh, one of the fantastic book, by the way, when you brought his book up. Um, yes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I remember I can't pinpoint exactly, but I know there was a stint where maybe it was before he was on camera, but he did a lot of stuff behind the scenes, even if you didn't see him on the product at the time. You know, and that could have been the time you're talking about. Um, but yeah, we, we did the Heroes of World Class at Big Vision, and I was privileged enough to kind of have a little hand in that. And um, uh, that was one of the most exciting uh, films, uh, DVDs, whatever we put out, where, you know, it's like, oh, we have to do this. Oh, and, and I'm getting paid for it. Well, this is fantastic, you know. Um, but I was telling you earlier um, uh, that I actually was privileged enough and I still don't know. I can't remember how, but we we somehow with a satellite on select TV, whatever it was, we were able to get world class in the early mid 80s growing up in Southern California. And when I tell people that out here, I, I couldn't relate to anybody because no one else watched it, you know. Um, and I, you know, as a kid, you wondered, like, well, why is that? And you didn't think much of it, but um, fantastic, especially looking back on it now. But yeah, working working on the Heroes of World Class, we were working in conjunction with Kevin Von Eric, which was exciting. And um, you know, it was, it was a ball of everything. It was exciting. It was fun. But it but you know, look, it was sad. It was uh, it was a lot of heartbreaking stuff. Um, and and a and a but a tremendous trip down memory lane. And just remembering again how many guys came out of that company. We were talking earlier, the Junkyard Dog, uh, uh, Ravishing Rick Rude, Jake Roberts, Ultimate Warrior, the list. And then, of course, you know, like you said, the Freebirds, the Von Erics themselves. Um, amazing. And uh, and we actually got a jump on that because um, uh, we, we put that out before WWE put their version out. Yeah, you guys uh, did it about, uh, I think it was about two or three years before. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. It, it, and to this day, I think personally um, that it's 
the better documentary that yeah it's a better it's a better story but like the wwe obviously is gonna have better content because they they have have access to the matches but like the the big vision one is way more interesting and in depth uh yours is the one where and it it has no bias it doesn't have to worry about uh can we tell this part of the story can we not tell this part of the story it just you know like like most things in wrestling if it's not associated with wwe or anything uh, that that has to uh, kind of watch its back. It's just going to have more freedom, and it did, and it felt that way for sure. Putting it together, yours is the one where where Kevin Von Erich went back to the Sportatorium and, yes. and revisited his memories. Okay, fantastic, loved yeah. it. Yeah, and that, and and that was a great idea, by the way, bringing him back there to to relive the memories and and see on his face uh, that the it, the memories passing through his head. And, and we and we got lucky because shortly after that was made, I mean, the building was in shambles at the time, but shortly after that was made, shortly after that was made, it was completely demolished. So the timing couldn't have been better for that part of the of the film. Yeah. Well, you know, MLW tried to duplicate it, but they had no building to work with. So they took right. the Monerics to an empty field. And <laughs> yeah. It wasn't quite the same. <laughs> no. Yeah. Which so there's Kevin's the only one left now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and so how how, let's just recap like, what was uh, so I know there was there was a couple suicides, and one of them have like a stomach issue or some like food poisoning or something. What uh, wasn't that the um, was that the little brother? Was was it Chris? Michael Von Erich had well, they originally said it was. SIDS. It was some form of, of sudden infant death syndrome. Right. But you, the Von Erichs were so kayfabe that you never knew what was real and what wasn't. You know, right. David Von Erich died of food poisonings, uh, theoretically, but it could have been in drugs. Uh, so yeah. He was probably addicted to a lot of different substances in Japan. Right. Uh, Carrie Von Erich was a suicide. Chris Von Erich, I believe, right. was a suicide also. I remember Kerry Von Erich because he died on my birthday, actually, February 18th. I thought you can't forget that, you know. Yeah, it's it's a shame. And Phil, you know, when you saw Kerry for the first time, what were your impressions of him? Because to those of us who knew him from WCCW, he was essentially a rock star, man. He was phenomenal. Now, he wasn't as talented as david but he had the look he had the charisma he definitely had the fucking chick following you know he had everything what did you see just being a kid and seeing him for the first time in wwf did you even know about him or the von erics going in no i knew nothing about who the von erics were and i had never seen him i'd never seen i i've obviously since seen like all the matches with rick flair and stuff that are legendary um uh, you know, I've read about, you know, his family and watched the documentaries. But um, when he came into the WWF, it was uh, one of those things where, you know, they pushed him immediately um, as, you know, big baby face. They had him, uh, I think they put him right into a program with Mr. Perfect and had him go over, I think, yeah. Mr. Perfect. He won yeah. the, which is funny because you always think of, you know, Perfect being like kind of undefeated and nope. Uh, Carrie, uh, Carrie beat him for the IC belt. Um, 
Uh, and I remember that was a great, great match. SummerSlam 90. That was a really, really good match. Um, your, your first pay-per-view, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yes. It, yes, it was. Yeah. The first one that I watched. Yeah. So I, I remember it very, very well, like all the matches. Um, yeah. Huh. Um, and, um, yeah, it was, I, I remember him having that like swagger, like walk into the ring and, you know, he looked so cool and uh, little did I know it's because he lost his foot. <laughs> That's why he was like walking with that kind of like that kind of, you know, he, and when he kind of like walked around the ring, he kind of had this like weird kind of, kind of like stomping. And, um, I think he walked that way before he lost the foot actually. Oh, did he? Yeah. Oh, dang. All right. Yeah. Ruining my ruining ruining the, the the vision for me. Okay, but can I ask you guys a question about that uh, opinions? Because um, I read Ric Flair's book and he talked about the match where Kerry won the NWA Championship and he described it as Kerry walked out wasted, uh, didn't know where he was, wandered off into the crowd, uh, and it was just a complete mess. Where Flair real quickly just said, "Let's just pin it and get out of here." When I went back and watched that match, I didn't quite get that impression. I don't know if you guys remember that, but I didn't, I mean, maybe Kerry was wasted. It's hard to say, but I, it didn't look like he went wandering off into the crowd. It looked like he had pretty good control of his faculties and his physical abilities. And, and it, it wasn't that bad of a match, but then the Von Erichs were not known for their, uh, you know, it's not like they oh. had the, the man of a, it's not like it was, uh, 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 what's his name? The man of a thousand holds. Um, oh, my God. God. Malenko, yeah, yeah they're, when, they're never going to confuse them with Dean Malenko. Where was, was, was that match? Was that the one that was outside? At, uh, yeah. Okay, yeah, I remember that was a good match. Yeah. Well, there's a there's an infamous match uh, about with Kerry Von Erich. Uh, you know, whether he was hopped up or whatever, it was um, versus Rick Martel, the model Rick Martel from Madison Square Garden. I know that one's on YouTube. But yeah, that that's the only one I know where like the infamous, you know, Carrie was out of out of control. And that match you can see it. You know, it's clear as day. And and it's unfortunate, sad to watch, but it's you know, like you said, part of history is what we're talking about here. And um, yeah, that much that match is out there for sure, you know. You know, speaking of history, Chris, where what venue was and when was it the first time you actually went to a live wrestling event? Oh, me, it was the uh, L.A. Sports Arena. <clears throat> it was October of 88. And I remember the main event was Haku Hogan. And then you had the semi was Honky Tonk uh, Ultimate Warrior. Um, <laughs> that's, that's a great one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and it, I mean, and then you got Rick Rude, Jake Roberts. You got, I mean, Rougeau's Heart Foundation. Um. Uh, I want to say what demolition powers of pain, maybe, but but oh, anyway, it, it's not a great. It one. was oh, dude, it, every match was like you know, uh, uh, <sighs> Hall of Fame, legendary, whatever you want to call it, for sure. I'm so nostalgic for that time of wrestling. Like, I just, yeah, I, I just, I can't get enough of it, man. I it's, can't. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. So great. Well, what I mean to to you guys, uh, since you brought it up, Phil. Um, what about that? is you know uh, luring you in why is that feeling that you get when you watch that something that you know you find yourself longing for that type of uh, feel again it's a good question um i think uh it's funny i talked about this with chris on his podcast um it was 
an era when you know these guys were able to come up through the indie system and they were able to develop really not indies but the, the territories they they were able to develop their characters very very well they knew how to work a crowd very well they knew how to create a gimmick and a character regardless of what it was um, they just they knew how to work really really well like they had their sticks down pat yeah. and um, I and you know Vince at at that time late seventies to eighties he was putting all these territories out of business and he was you know basically acquiring the the, the talent from these from these from these territories so he had this all-star roster of the, the all the best wrestlers basically in the country with the exception of the NWA crop um, who he was poaching at the same time also and so he had like Randy Savage who he had his shtick down pat Hogan had the shtick down pat you know um, Warrior had his shtick like Rick Rude like all these guys they just, they were like so big boss man, like everyone, everyone you name. Sadly, talking about world class, like the Terry Taylor thing never translated over. Um, but uh, just about everyone else, like, was just great seeing Andre. Like, it, it was just, it was so, so many great characters then. And um, there was no internet. There was, you know, the kayfabe still existed. And, you, you, things could breathe. You know, the matches could breathe. Like these guys could work the crowd. You can, you could work the leg. You could work. You know, you could work the. You could go to the outside and powder. You could do all this stuff. And now it's like everything is like t- TV five minutes. You know, like everything. Like you have to do all these spots, and um, you know, everything is so uh, yeah, so high spot. You know, oriented now. Which, hey, I I love high spots, but. I mean, there's a time and a place for everything, and if everything's a high spot, then nothing's a high spot. Um, Phil, I so, you just brought up a very good um, thing that just kind of triggered in my mind, Chris. When you look at those matches, and like Phil said, there was time to powder, time to um, you know work body parts, etc. One of the key components to that was television having commentary teams that could fill the space yeah what was that like for you in terms of being kind of influenced by your gorilla monsoons or your you know your classic wrestling voices and is that kind of the trade-off now it's action high spots and less actual storytelling and more just promotion from the commentators than um you know embracing it and trying to color in the picture Oh, I mean, to, to touch on what you said, Phil, as well, the, um, like you said, you could work the leg, you could do that. Whereas today it's like, fill this five minutes, fill that most of the wrestling, most of the wrestling we saw in that time was not live. You know, you would have your tapings, you would have your shows, you would let the guys do what they need to do. Then you would make the TV show after you had that footage and then you would put the commercials where it would make sense. And I, and I, again, just to touch on Phil was saying there, I think too, as great as on paper, live TV, live wrestling sounds in some ways, uh, the television station, the television product, unfortunately has to come first before the wrestling show. And it, and it wasn't like that back then, you know, it was like, uh, uh, priority number one is this wrestling show making sense. Then we make a TV show out of it. 
And, right. and that's kind of what we were with XPW. We, we were, you know, when you go, we, I don't know if I talked about with you, Phil, on, on, a, on our episode, but uh, when we did the, the extreme memories wrestling chatter, one of, one of the episodes we did, um, we were talking about how, when you go to, when you went to an XPW show, you knew you were going to see pretty much the same thing at the live show as you were on the TV product. It was kind of like the, one of those bands you listen to, Oh, this band, this band, uh, that I'm listening to, he's, they sound just like they do on the studio album type thing, you know? So, so, um, Believe it or not, growing up in L.A., I actually, you know, yeah, I grew up watching a world class Bill Mercer. I, I liked a lot. Then I got Lance Russell, who I kind of compared to like the Vince Scully of professional wrestling. He was just a very calm, uh, soothing, uh, almost the same voice too, the same yeah. demeanor. I just saw Vince Scully in um, in uh, Lance Russell. And I love Gorilla Monsoon. Of course, Don't forget Vince uh, Soley. Yeah, and Gordon Soley too, of course. Uh, uh, Rob Cottle. Um, uh, uh, what's the name I'm thinking of? Um, of course, Gorilla Bobby, Vince, and Jesse. Um, but yes, you back then, and also like Phil was saying, every single character was committed. Like, like right. that's who they were. There was no room. There was no wiggle room, and you couldn't. You had to be committed back then to what character you were and so therefore yeah. every single character was believable and then if you have two believable guys that are way up on this pedestal somewhere in the company and then they're going to go at each other it was like you're committed to both these guys who's going to win type thing and everything meant something back then uh, like you said a rest hold meant something back then Right. You know, and um, a championship meant something. And a championship. Yeah. Thing. There wasn't ten championships on uh, no. WrestleMania. No, and on WCCW, the the NWA champion only came to town like once every six months, right. and they would let us right. know like two months in advance that uh, Harley Race or Ric Flair is coming to town, and we're gonna find out who's the number one contender. And by the time he came, it was so meaningful. We all were waiting for that day when Iceman King Parsons was going to beat him to become the first African-American world champion. Yeah. Nowadays, you know, Darby Allen defending his title every single week. And, you know, um, it's, it's well, not quite as effective. Hey, Chris, I have got a question. So back to the L.A. house shows. Did you go to the Ric Flair Hulk Hogan event in october of 91 you know what man that was my i was i was in high school then and and that was i remember that was my sister's birthday and i still give her crap about it <laughs> no i did not go to that one i went to almost all of them but i didn't go to that one and uh, uh did you go i did that was that was my second house show that i went to uh, and uh, wow. so memorable man so yeah. so memorable and um great finish um oh, no. Phil, Phil, since since it's memorable, let me ask you: since you were there, when you watched the match, did you, as a kid and as a fan, feel that that match could have been the WrestleMania main event? Oh yes, but um, yes, a hundred percent. You know, um, here's the deal: is like the the crowd was a little bit split because there was a. 
I, I didn't even know what the fuck the NWA was back then, but sure. um, there was a lot of NWA fans that, uh, and a lot of Ric Flair fans, and uh, the crowd was mixed. Um, but it, I thought it was like such a good match, and like it just it it was like there was it felt like there was no no confidence in Hulk Hogan for at some reason, like in late '91, yeah. early '92, right. like like have some confidence in Hogan. Like Hogan can he can handle that like having a, a split crowd it was like it doesn't need to be all like hulk hogan's the, the ultimate baby face and he has to go against you know like i mean that sid justice match was such a fucking atrocity man it was so bad on every level um but now you know the randy savage rick flair match at wrestlemania 8 i thought was one of the best of all times but um we really should have had the flair hogan match that's what right. What that's what the wrestling world deserved was that match, and I feel like you know having Flair win the title at the Rumble, they were building Flair as such a monster heel, um, not monster heel, but like a, a the top heel, um, and he was crushing it, like his bit stuff with Roddy Piper, his stuff with Savage, his stuff with Hogan, he was running roughshod at the time. Um, yeah. They, they could have done they could have built it as this if they had done like a six month build for Hogan Sat, or Hogan uh, Flair Wrestlemania 8 I, we'd be having a much different conversation right now yeah. I think but those at those they got all scared off by these house shows where the crowd was split but it was so good they did I, I don't know if you guys have ever seen it they did um, the dusty finish where Flair uses the knucks the, the brass knuckles knocks Hogan out I think knocks the the first referee out uh, or something, and then like a second referee comes in and like pins and you know uh, I don't know Flair pins Hogan and wins the title. Okay, so at this house show, Flair wins the title, and then you know they come out and reverse. Oh, he had the brass knuckles, reverse the decision. You know, um, and I just remember when man seeing hearing the bell ring and seeing Flair like raise the WWF belt. Like all the blood, like ran out of my face. <laughs> I, I was stunned. Uh, yeah, the whole crowd was stunned. It was such a great moment. It was such a great finish. They, it was so good. They should have built that and had that happen at WrestleMania or something else, something similar happen. Um, I just, I feel like they, they didn't have enough confidence in Hogan as. Do you as a do worker. you think? Do you think um, now? having those house shows let's say they had the main event at wrestlemania 8 do you think those house shows would have taken away from that though because a lot of fans well these guys already wrestled it's not such a mystery anymore because but they, I, only, they, they only wrestled at a couple shows I know. just like three i think well they yeah but they did the biggest city they i know they did new york they did la i don't know if it was chicago no, they did it was oakland was the first one then, you know, they do the circuit down to L.A. So, Oakland, L.A. was the second one. And I think Vegas was the third one. So, so they so just did there, that, that there circle. Is... And it was just yeah, those yeah. three. And that was it. And those okay. that, that was the test run. So, what's the match I'm thinking about then when um, – because it's I think it's on YouTube still. It's it's Hogan versus Flair, Madison Square Garden. Oh, you know, I yeah. You know, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I think they did that. That was like – Maybe like Jan December or January. That was a couple months later. Oh, that's right. That was Ron Rumble time. You're right. Yeah, that was uh, it was a, that was when Mr. Perfect was with. When I saw him, Bobby Heenan was his manager. Right. Right. Um. So right. yeah, I don't know. I mean, just 
drop drop ball, missed opportunity. Um, missed opportunity. And then and they wanted to build Sid for some reason. And well, not for some reason. I mean, good reason. Sid was a monster, but like just not. He couldn't. I, I would love. I would love to. I, and I did another show. We we kind of blew up and re reconfigured WrestleMania eight and WrestleMania nine. And I would love to to uh, blow that up. Uh, but I remember if you did Hogan Flair, I actually thought, what was it, uh, early late ninety, early ninety, or uh, late late ninety one when when um, when Sid came in as a baby face, and I remember thinking like, damn, this guy is over to the point where it was like, well, they tried it with the Warrior, whatever the argument is there, why it didn't work, whatever. But then you had Sid come in, and I even then I I remember feeling like. I think this guy can get more over than Warrior. You know, the argument was Warrior was not identifiable as a person. He was such a character, whereas Sid was more like a Hulk Hogan. It was like, oh, this is a real guy. And and I remember thinking when they turned him heel, I was like, man, Hogan's on his way out. That was the guy right there. That was your baby face. So I just remember as, as great as he was as a heel, I thought they had a lot of potential with him as a, as a baby face kind of the replacement to Hulk Hogan all the while you keep him as that face and you could have had that Hogan flair match. So that was because part of back was- then they wanted to make characters like cartoon characters and yeah. they didn't realize the greatness of just taking a guy's real life personality and amplifying it times a hundred. The guy just wanted to play softball. That's what he was, <laughs> right? It was like this Weird, big yeah. fun softball player. And they could have made him, if they would have brought some of that, into his character he could have been the ultimate face right i know absolutely and i again like i said i i i felt in that that time he got over so quickly after he came in yeah you know but remember remember how they brought him in he was like not quite heel not quite baby he was like i'm gonna call it right down the line like remember he had that yeah, well, that was that that was going into SummerSlam '91. Like, which side is he going to go on, the Triangle of Terror or Hogan Warrior? But 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 he was already there before that for for like a, a month or two, and I just remember his singles matches on Superstars, even just simple matches. It was like, damn, this this is the next guy, you know. So I just I don't know. I I felt that it was yeah. a little bit of a jumping the gun to give Hogan that. A monster heel to go against versus it was kind of like his heel turn was done for Hogan, yeah. as opposed as opposed to just right. uh, what what do we, what's the best thing for Sid right now and the company. And it's funny because Hogan did the heel move at the Royal Rumble by pulling him out of the right, room. right. Like I remember watching, that, I was like, "What's Hogan? No, Hogan's doing the wrong thing. Like how right. can he do that? <laughs> He's screwing Sid." And then it's like, whoa, but he's still a good guy. Okay, I guess it's okay because he's Hogan. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Hogan is the most powerful force in the universe, brother. Right. That's right, brother. <laughs> but ironically enough, <laughs> shortly after, um, Ric Flair, Sid, and Hogan are all out of the WWF. Um, Glenn, with you, when was your first wrestling uh, live event, and uh, where was it? Uh, they would definitely be at the Sportatorium, but to tell you which matches, uh, well, I mean, I can tell you which matches because back then 
they were always the same matches, just different combinations. <laughs> so Kerry Von Erich wrestled one of the probably Bam Bam Gordy. David Von Erich probably wrestled uh, Hayes. And then Buddy Roberts uh, probably wrestled uh, Kevin Von Erich uh, or Iceman Parsons. And then um, yeah. Chris Adams would have been wrestling against Gino Hernandez. And, and that's pretty they stuck with their programs for a long time. But I can tell you uh, my right. first couple of experiences, the first wrestling thing I can ever remember is just flipping through the channels one time and, and happening upon King Kong Bundy. And here he was this egg with sunglasses talking trash. And I was riveted. I was like, what the what the heck is this? Uh, oh, see, that's that, that's a great example of a guy that they should have just let run with who he was. Like, yeah, that dude was a character. Yes. Yep. And you, you never saw that in like WWF. No. So compelling. Uh, he, he had a five count, too. That was back when he was he would <clears> pin <throat> a wrestler and then grab the referee and say, no, I only do five counts. Five. Yeah. Uh, and then I remember some dude in school, uh, you know, kids, you wrestled and whatever. So some dude we were, were friends with our family. Uh, you know, while we were saying, yeah, well, I'm Kerry Von Eric or I'm Freebird or whatever. He was like, well, I'm the great Kabuki. And he would spin around three times and then spit at us. And then I was like, who's great Kabuki? I went and watched this guy. That guy was very, without ever saying a word in, in his entire career, he was great. He was fantastic to watch. He was the first time I'd ever seen a martial arts guy. Right. Uh, get in there. And, you know, again, kayfabe back then, we thought we would have debates about, well, you know, a real martial arts guy could could, uh, you know, who's going to win in a, in a street fight between him and the Von Erichs? People say, well, Kerry Von Erich is invincible. I mean, there's he's so strong. There's no way. And other people would say, oh, the great Kabuki, if they would let him go, he would kill the, you know, Kerry Von Erich here. Uh, so I can remember, and so that's what introduced me to Gary Hart, who I was a huge fan of. Me Him too. and Skandar Akbar did such a great job of taking heels who didn't have great microphone skills and making them absolutely compelling where you sat there. Uh, and, and, you know, again, this is something we lack in, in today's wrestling. Very rarely now do I hate a heel and want to see the good guys win. And very rarely do I love a good guy so much. Yeah. And this is, you know, I got my Join the Dark Order shirt on today. I freaking love how they have built up the Dark Order as these underdogs who always lose. And you just want to see them win so badly sometimes that when they finally do, it's going to be like, um, it's going to be like watching Daniel Bryan that, you know, that one time they finally let him win in the uh, WrestleMania. Kind of like it's kind of like Barry Horowitz when Barry Horowitz was right. <laughs> <first> televised win. <laughs> um, we did. We rooted for the jobbers back then sometimes too. Absolutely. Let me, you got That you. was that was that was a good ad lib, Matt. You got to give yourself a pat on the back, uh, Barry, Barry Horowitz style for that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and speaking of Barry Horowitz, that makes me want to do the big O for Barry O, oh! who was uh, <laughs> the little known was, brother of. Uh, of uh, Cowboy Bob Orton, right? Yeah, yeah. Randy, Randy's uh, Randy's uncle. Um, mm -hmm. Each of you guys, who honestly was your uh, favorite wrestler growing up? Um, I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll, I mean, I, you know, the funny thing is, is I don't 
I just, I honestly loved the business, but, but the ones that that's, that's my favorite, that that's who was most over with me was, was the business of professional wrestling and, and, and understanding it and, and then wanting to be a part of it. Uh, You know, speaking of the LA sports arena, I remember going with my family and, and coming home they're like hey chris you okay i'm like yeah why you weren't really watching the wrestling really what do you mean you were just looking at the people and i remember as a young kid i was fascinated with the fact that you know we're here we're in this arena you know we're down the street with was the forum we'd watch the laker games and and uh go to the sports arena for other events and i just remember as a kid like gosh it's the same amount of people looking at the same part of the arena and it would with the same reactions but this one is a show. And th- and I was just fascinated by that. And, and that's, w- that's the moment where I wanted to be behind the curtain, you know? And, and, uh, uh, but then later on, you know, of course, Ric Flair, probably Ric Flair, probably, uh, I actually was a big Martell guy, Rick Martell. And then later on, Bret Hart. Um, I mean, so, so those are some three guys right there that, that kind of stood out for me. And I thought Rick Martell was another guy who was, um, you know, there's only, there's only so many, uh, main event spots in, in WWE. Uh, so, you know, like we were saying earlier, you got the best or Phil was saying, you got the literally the best from all around the world in this one company. Again, there's only, only so many main event spots. So, you know, a guy like Rick Martel, who is AWA world champ, um, you know, and not everybody's going to be WWE champion. So, so, so all these guys that we're talking about that ended up in the mid card, these guys were main events where they came from. And, yeah. and so Martel was one of those guys you could say, Oh, underrated, but, but there had to be a lot of underrated guys, unfortunately, because right. again, there were only so many spots in the WWE. And, and um, so I don't, I don't, I hate to say that underrated or, or Rick Root or junkyard dog because they weren't world champion. Right. Um, but, 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 but again, that, that goes back to what we're talking about too. The titles meant something. They couldn't go to every single guy back then. Right. You know? And, um, uh, so look at yeah, Roddy Piper, know? Roddy Piper, right. That, that, that whole time he was there, he was just intercontinental champion for like two months. That and, was and it. That in that, in that IC title run even has an asterisk next to it. Cause they almost gave it to him. Cause like, Oh yeah, that's right. He's never had a belt. We got to give him the IC belt. And, and so, I mean, theoretically, you could argue that he really never had a title. Right. I mean, in a way. Never had the world title, which never had the world which title. is crazy to think because he was the heel that put Hogan over. Like, that he cre- he helped create Hulkamania, you know, Bef- oh, like yeah. before Andre. Uh, Glenn, who, who are your, uh, your favorites? I know you're going to run here in a couple uh, minutes. So uh, who were your uh, favorites? So... Uh, I rooted heels most of the time. There's probably going to be a point where I go see a psychologist to <laughs> analyze my childhood and figure out why. Uh, so I mentioned the great Kabuki, uh, but I want to mention um, uh, Gino Hernandez again. So Gino yeah. was so cool as a heel because he would cheat in the most dastardly ways to win and then walk out to a crowd that was throwing things at him and booing and, and full of hatred and go, I am your champion. I'm so happy to get this great response from all of you who love me so much with a hundred percent sincerity. He would do it. You, you know, I mean, <laughs> tongue in cheek, but at the same time, he came across as like, he really believed these people loved him. 
and he would just smile. Uh, you know, it's just like, yes, I love that you guys adore me so much. So I loved Gino Hernandez. Um, I did love David Von Erich because he was like the the baddest of that of those three. He really was um, yeah. back in the beginning. And then later on, I want to throw out uh, my APA appreciation. The uh, you know, the the uh, oh, what were their two names? Uh, Ron Simmons and uh, the acolytes. Bradshaw. Yeah, the acolytes. Side I don't know if we're too far into later history at this point, but I've I loved the whole concept of the APA sitting in the back playing cards, drinking beer, and then just waiting for the wrestlers to hire them for the night to be <laughs> on whatever side. They were they really took two like guys that were just fledgling, and they yeah made yeah. it like awesome. And and not only fledgling, uh, 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 but polar opposites too, and it worked. And that's another WCCW guy, by the way. Bradshaw came. I think it was Hawk Bradshaw at the yeah. time in, in WCCW. And then, Justin Hawk Bradshaw. Yeah. Were you, was, Glenn? Were you? Were you still in Dallas when you know after World Class fizzled and it became Global Global Wrestling Federation? You bet. You bet. And okay. at one point, the um, Stone Cold Steve Austin, who back then was known as to Steve. Uh, no, it wasn't Steve Austin. He was Sonny. Steve Williams. Oh, Steve Williams. Then he became Steve Austin, right? Yeah. So he was Steve Williams against Chris Adams, and both of their wives were involved somehow. And Steve Williams somehow ended up with Chris Adams's wife, Jeannie. And I think it actually translated into real life somehow, too, which was no, very they, confusing they were married. for us. They, yeah. they ended up married. Because back then we had just sort of figured out, now I was probably 20 something by then, but. We had figured out that uh, wrestling wasn't exactly real, but then you had like these wives involved somehow where it did, oh the line got blurred between real life and, 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 uh, and wrestling. Yeah. So, but and yeah, I, no, that was hot back then when, uh, when that feud started, I mean, that, those were seriously interesting stuff with, with, uh, with Williams versus Adams. Steve Austin's like a wife stealer, man. <laughs> <laughs> he was. He was. He, he, you know, he got uh, Jeannie, he got uh, Deborah. And, um, you know, I think it's interesting in the, in what you're talking about in terms of the real life creeping into wrestling. It was the early 90s that we started to see that. So, you know, to take, I think what it comes down to is to take the fact that the WWF was so big that the other companies that were now, dwindling and they weren't part of this territory anymore more so it was just to make money off of that fan base that was still local they had to come up with shit that was never tried right by the big companies and one of the, the biggest guys behind some of the best ideas was hot stuff eddie gilbert oh yeah he's a guy who does not get the credit no you're so does. right no, so and, and and his girl for uh um, what was her name? Missy Hyatt. Missy Hyatt. I loved her. That's part of what made WCCW great was was Missy Hyatt and her feud with Sunshine. Yep. And by the way, I did a uh, skit with uh, Ace Austin a, a couple of years ago for Impact, where he was doing the wife stealing thing. So it's like this stuff just plays out over and over yeah. again. People going back and saying, "Well, what can we use that would just put a twist on?" And by the way, as a porn director, 
uh, that's all I do to get new ideas is I go back and look at scenes that I shot in 2005 and go like, oh, hey, yeah, let's put a new twist on that one. Glenn, I didn't even know that. Like, it's, isn't it crazy? Like, there's all these weird porn connections with wrestling. It's like, it's oh, yeah. <laughs> like we, me and Chris really wrestled XPW. It's just uh, just we're, like we're really similar because we're all kind of outlaws from society. Uh, right. You know, yeah. wrestling has always been perceived of as sort of this joke, you know, that's not a real sport. Yeah. Porn yeah, is perceived as not a real job. And everyone turns their nose down to wrestling and porn and stuff. And yet, well, yet wrestlers, stars yeah, and wrestlers are like, fuck you. We'll do what I, we want. Yet, 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 uh, we're, we're the, the wrestling and porn are the outcasts yet, at least at one time. I mean, porn still is, but, you know, they're, they're both a couple of the highest rated things in the world. But exactly. but everyone everyone snubs at them, and we talk about every this. time there's new media. Every single time, it's porn and wrestling that like yeah. make the new media, like yeah. videotapes, yeah. cable, internet, like streaming, everything. It's is we, there we it talked is. about we talked about this a little bit, Phil, on our episode of Extreme Memories, where um, where we were. Um, you know, we're already in this wrestling company. We're already going against the grain, but then we're kind of introduced to this world of adult entertainment. And, and I was kind of just saying how as a young guy, just, wow. I, I mean, you knew the hypocrisy was there, but then you really felt it. Cause these are just regular people doing their jobs. And, and, um, and you know that the world is literally watching them yet denying that they're doing that and snubbing at them for doing it yet relishing and 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 taking the, what entertainment they're giving to them you know so we we had an early education with all that that the hypocrisy behind all of it and and also but also in a weird way because we're in the wrestling business we're going against the grain we're not doing the normal thing there was almost a, a respect for that for for what they were doing uh you know whereas everyone else that was on the high horse not only were they snubbing him, but they were also being hypocrites about it. So yeah, I definitely I can I remember. I remember the movie Traffic, where like Michael Douglas plays the senator who's like passing laws against drugs and stuff. Yet he goes home and he like drinks, gets drunk off scotch. It's kind of like that, and yeah. um, where there's a reason why it's not outlawed, and that's because the people making the laws right. are consuming it. You know. By the way, uh, XPW was just before its time. Now would be the perfect time to do an XPW, in my opinion. You've got uh, I, we're adult. Too, they were too woke of a society. Like Rob could would never, he, he would never succeed. Well, I, I think, you're right. Rob was not before his time. Rob was at the right time. You couldn't have a guy like him in today's society. No. I got my own issues with Rob, but the 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 concept of doing uh, like you could find adult performers. In fact, I'm shooting a scene uh, next month where we've got a pro wrestler coming in to train a porn star who wants to be a wrestler. And he's going to teach her uh, as much as he could teach her in an hour or so. And then we're going to have a match and, and uh, oh. you know, and then it'll end in a, in a blowjob. But um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> But I'm just saying, like, there's a so whole... wait. So who's so who's doing the job? <laughs> the the male talent, which is me. Oh, he's I'm, jobbing. I'm, gonna, I'm jobbing for her. You can absolutely guarantee that she'll get the pinfall, and then. Uh, oh, but that's yeah. how all my scenes end. I mean, we make female domination videos. A, a so. job for a job. There you go. It's the guy always loses in my scenes. We actually have done some great 
wrestling scenes and MMA scenes, but this will be the first one where we've really had a wrestler come in uh, to coach us. But I do think there's a huge audience right now that's thirsting. Yeah, yeah. And and there's there's female talent, and there's male talent. There's people that want to be in these um, in a in a X federation. I think because it's interesting, you guys, you know, we're saying like they're, they're hungry for it, but like Phil's saying, you know, it, which I agree, it's, it's too woke of a society right now. But honestly, I think in a, in a, in a weird, ironic way, because of that, people are hungry for it because right. people are, people are, it's kind of reminds me of like when the late nineties, early two thousands rolled around, we kind of went through a, a little bit of an era. If you remember in the early mid nineties of like this kind of political correctness, yep. even Bill Maher, his show was called politically incorrect. Cause that was a thing. And then bam, there was a, um, a rebellion against that with the cultural Jerry response. Yeah. The Jerry Springer, the Howard Stern, the attitude era and everything else in media and film. So as, as because, and you have to make a good point, Phil, because, it seems impossible with, with the world we live in right now for someone that's totally going against the grain to, to emerge. I think that's the reason why people are hungry for it right now. Will, well, will it, will it surface? I don't know, but, but if it does, I think we're, I think we're going to see in some fashion, we're going to see a repeat of what we did whenever that may come of what we did in the late nineties and early two thousands. Well, I think, you know, a lot of cycling happens when you're talking about, you know, popular culture and what people watch, not watch and follow and not follow. The difference now is simply it's the fact that commercialism companies are getting blow back right. for supporting things. And therefore, they're not willing to take the same risks they were in the late 90s. True. Where they were able to capitalize it without the only group that would ever criticize it were the uh, the Christian watch groups who yes. you know, have the biggest problem. But in, in this day and age now, you got hashtags. Hashtags are the motherfucking killer of everything now. You're you're right. You're right. I mean, it did come a little bit from the Hashtag left. true never, story. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I, I was just going to say, you're right. Like back then, it came from like the Bible thumpers and, and the... Um, and, and those that were always advocating censorship for their, let's say, own religious beliefs, for example. Um, so in, in some ways, society was like, oh, that's just them doing their thing again. They're just thumping their Bibles again. Like, like okay, yeah, that, that does make a good portion of the population. We do have to do what we have to do. But you're right. Now it's, it's, it is different. It's, it's because, I mean, you don't, you don't want to also dismiss why this is happening this is happening in our society for a good reason because there are things that need change um uh at the same time I chris i just don't think that we'll see it through the mainstream lens right because companies are afraid but glenn in you know doing what he does that is also the avenue where i think we're going to start seeing a lot of the darker things that yeah. people are craving to see because they're willing to pay for it. And people like, you know, Glenn, and I'm only using you an example of you have your own company that produces stuff that you can't put on NBC. Right. So people are going to pay for those um, services that they can see those types of things. And 
it will never lead to um, you know national boom in terms of the same cultural shift that happened in the late '90s and early 2000s. But as we've seen with different things in society now, it's going to leave this um, hole that is is forming. It's going to leave that now kind of filling back up because you're going to have outlets that are going to offer things like when you say XPW was ahead of its time. And I think, Glenn, you got this kind of down, which, you know, maybe we should start a wrestling company like XPW that is specifically pay-per-view streaming on, you know, on a service because there is a want for that type of thing. And you're going to reach a bigger audience that has the um, the available funds to watch because they'll make that fund available. Well, let me say this, because I, I got to run here, but um, yeah. I got a great comment about that. So David Christopher made a video back in like uh, 2002 or three. Uh, it was called like. XNWO or NWO triple X or something like that. And I remember because David was kind of my mentor getting into the adult industry back then. I believe his budget on that thing was like uh, $80,000, maybe somewhere in that range. And he would have had to wait roughly uh, six months, probably before he started getting any of that money back. Right. You could make, you know, renting the ring, and I know a guy that would be happy to rent me his ring, but renting the ring would be the hardest part here. You know, I could make a video for hmm, like $3,000 right now, maybe $4,000 and start making money on it within 48 hours, probably if I wanted to, if I was in a hurry and start recouping my investments. So that's how much times have changed yeah. in terms of the industry. And, and you don't, back then you couldn't, the first thing you'd have to do with a project like that is find a distributor because you had no access to the, the market directly. Now, like I said, you could make deals uh, with all of the VOD companies, the video on demand companies, have your own website or your own um, uh, um, OnlyFans page or whatever and start making money off of it. There's actually an interesting case study. There's a guy who organized... Um, a group of strippers and porn performers to play in a basketball game against each other in Atlanta somewhere. I can't remember what this thing is called, but I kept seeing the trailers for it. So I checked it out. There's a bunch of girls wearing thongs uh, and, and uh, bikini tops, I guess, uh, or maybe they're topless playing basketball. And he's selling memberships on OnlyFans for like 20 bucks or so or $15 and for that, all you get to see is that one video they filmed of the girls playing basketball. It's not out of the realm of possibility at all that they got a thousand people to sign up within a few weeks if they because yeah. they're doing a good job of promoting it on all of the adult sites, at least. Uh, and, you know, so they probably recoup their investment in a couple of weeks and then they can just, uh, you know, just watch the profits come in after that. And of course, if they're smart. They've got naked basketball two, three, four, and five planned so that you know these these are coming out every few months. So it's doable. Uh, I gotta go. Say, hey guys, it's a real honor to be on the show with you guys. Um, I don't. I I knocked Rob a little bit, but I I loved XPW back then. It was a great show. The production values were actually 
really impressive even compared to uh, a lot of the shows that are coming up today, depending on which ones you watch. So uh, props to you guys. And, it, and it's, it's great Thank to you, meet man. you. And Thank course, you, Matt, you too. Thanks, man. My pleasure. Matt, always good to see you, my brother. Thank you for joining us, Glenn. Um, we're going to just kind of finish up here. So, Glenn, if you want to take off and uh, say hi to Red Cup Jeff for uh, for me as well, brother. I, just so you guys, Red Cup is, is like Chris Jericho's best friend. The guy, if you look in all of the... Uh, uh, or um, uh, inner circle videos whenever they go on a road trip or whatever there's a guy with long hair that's uh, in there that you know like they did their thing in Vegas and they were showing all the drunk walking down the street like uh, from uh, the hangover Red Cup is the guy who fell down and then got tangled up in Jericho's legs and he had to kick him off I don't know if you've seen that video <laughs> it's good stuff but Red Cup's a good dude I'll, I'll tell him I'll tell him you guys said hi all right guys have a good one me too. Glenn. Nice meeting, man. Appreciate having you, buddy. Um, so really quick, guys, we'll just kind of uh, just free form here and kind of uh, finish up. Um, do you guys do you guys remember? Did you guys ever talk about going to the same shows? Like together or you mean no, like 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 separate, you know, how it is where you know you attended a show in uh, you know 1992. You all you both happened to be there. Were you were you at WrestleMania seven, Phil? No, I wasn't. I was at home okay. for that one. I was at WrestleMania twelve though. Yeah, I was okay. So there, there's one we went to before we gotcha. just before we knew each other. Right. Um, let me let me let me think of the big pay per views. I went to the Royal Rumble, the one the one in '99, where you know. The yeah, rock handcuffed, uh, you know, mankind. I was like hitting him over the head with the chair, and Austin and Vince were brawling in the crowd. I went to that Royal Rumble. I went to the Bash at the Beach that was down in San Diego. Dennis uh, um, Rodman. Huntington Beach. No, 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 no. It was after the Huntington Beach one. It was down. It was down in San Diego. It was. Um, it was with Dennis Rodman and and Carl oh, okay. Malone. It was that that? It was like later NWO era. Ninety eight. Yeah, ninety eight. Um. So those were the big pay-per-views I went to. I went to a bunch of like Raw and, you know, tapings. Um, you know, the first house show, I remember um, the main event was, this is crazy, Undertaker, Ultimate Warrior. Like, oh, I was there at 91 LA Sports Arena. I yeah, so all right, so there we go. There's there's a house show we were both at. Um, I've, I remember the main event for sure. Uh, I want to say maybe Big Boss Man and Mountie wrestled yeah, I think that. So. Uh, I think LOD and maybe Nasty Boys might have wrestled on that. Um, Can't forget about IRS going against Virgil. Oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you know that's it's interesting too because my first house show, um, you know, the house shows were done at the um, the what is now the Allstate Arena in Chicago, but the Rosemont Horizon, and the. The coolest thing about those shows, and I don't know if the Sportatorium or the um, LA Sports Arena had the same feel to it, but it felt like those uh, the movies that you'd see from like the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, where every everything was dark around the ring and it was just the ring yeah. like spotlighted, and you could smell that like cigar and cigarette smoke and just this you know, stale beer and piss and, you know, just that, that. I don't like your house, Matt. Well, exactly, man. <laughs> of course. 
when you when you grow up around it, you want to have it part of your life forever, right? Yeah, um, the sports pretty, arena was like that. The sports yeah. arena was the sports arena when it wasn't a TV taping. They just lower the scoreboard, and I remember the sports arena had four big lights right under it, which is what we used for XPW when we were there. You know, um, and and um, and the the popcorn butter smell, like yeah, the sports arena had that. And, and the sports arena, I, I remember when the pond, Arrowhead Pond, came in, and it was nice and new, and then Staples after that. But I remember shortly, like, that that didn't last for me, like like the uh, the excitement of those new arenas, because something was missing, and I couldn't pinpoint it. Yeah, I didn't like the pond as much as the sports arena. I like sports no. arena way more. I mean, the pond is probably a nicer arena, a better built place. Newer. But but the sports arena, I just I don't know, man. When that place got torn down, I actually ended up going to the last ever show, which was Bruce Springsteen, the last night at the sports arena. And oddly enough, Bruce Springsteen, Pearl Jam, and and there's another big band I can't remember. But when they would come to L.A., they would never play at the Staples Center. They didn't like the commercialism. Uh, and and Bruce Springsteen said in an interview of all the arenas that he's ever performed at. The sports arena was his favorite arena in the world. And 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 check it out. If you watch even old WWF stuff from the sports arena, the sports arena does have this very unique acoustic sound when you just hear the fans shouting or whatever. And and a lot of musicians actually love that place acoustically. So so yeah. sports arena, if for some something about it, the way it was shaped, whatever it was, when you walked in, you just heard the fans. It was like no other place, you know, that, that I don't know. I, 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 aside from us performing there too, it was like really sad, especially just, and also going there as a kid, it was like, it was sad when that place got torn down. It was, it was too bad. And I always also thought like how WWE did like a one last at the Nassau Coliseum. They did one last certain old arenas. I thought they should have done that with the sports arena because raw actually came to LA like the week after Bruce Springsteen's last show. And I remember like myself and a few other people, Raven that, that we know here, we were all just like, why aren't they going to the sports arena? They should do one last raw at the LA sports arena. So they never did. And you know, it being the home of WrestleMania two and seven, I was, I was a little disappointed that they didn't do that. That's a bummer. Well, I think, you know, that that's, it serves into the corporate aspect of things because as I understand it, you know, with their ties to uh, Staples Center and to the pond, it just it, it wasn't going to happen. I mean, the they capacity, the capacity, you can't compare the two. Also, it's sports well, arena I mean, is way smaller. Well, no, selling way less tickets. Sports arena wasn't that much smaller because because with wrestling, it was it was just shy of seventeen. It was sixteen something, and and and, and Staples Center is eighteen thousand. So I oh, mean, sports okay. arena was. Better. Yeah, no, it's sports arena is a little bit smaller, and it was like I don't know, five hundred seats less than the forum was because the forum was seventeen thousand. So, you know, it, they were all about the same. Did you go, Phil? By the way, did you go? The, of the one I have to say in LA, yeah, that I'm biased. No, finish uh-huh. up, Chris. Um, did you go, Phil? By the way, speaking of LA, but Long Beach. Do you remember Long Beach in '93? It was February 93, and they all aired in March, but it was superstars of wrestling. It was like the only superstars we got in Southern California. And it was superstars. Oh, I, I didn't go to it. 
that one uh, was one of my fondest memories because as a kid and then you walk in it's like oh there's the wwf light they're the banners oh the lights this is this is television holy crap like oh there's the cameras okay oh we're gonna be right here like we're all over that you know and and remember you wait for the red there's no titan tron back then so you wait for the red light oh okay that camera's on right now and you wave and all of that but um that's one thing, you know, like there's a new show on A&E, like memorabilia. Have you guys watched any of those episodes? Not yet. Yeah. I've heard of it. Oh, that. my gosh. Great yeah. concept, by the way. Fantastic concept. Yeah. I, I, oh. I pitched that show several years ago. and Did you really? Uh, yeah. You did? Uh, to, yeah, yeah. And Sorry to hear that, man. Yeah, it's just, I, I, you know, it's, it's, these shows are friggin'. It's hard to get these shows picked up, man. Right, right. I mean, I, 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 I feel your pain, dude. I'm working in so many... Like the thing with Roddy Piper I did, and that never saw the light of day, so I can feel I get it, dude. But um, but um anyway, my my whole thing is the one item I would love, like some of those banners are great. I, I got something right here. You guys probably like this, but that is actually from can you see it behind me here? That is from Huntington Beach. The the bash at the beach banner right there. That. That's the one with Hogan, right? Yeah, Hogan, Hogan, Flair in the cage, and I, I got lucky enough to snag that. Still have that to this day. But um, but I would love one of my uh, if I could go in, I'd love. Remember that big WWF light that they had above the curtain? Like, oh man, that thing is probably about like five the, with the with yeah. the neon. No, not with the neon. The the original one that they had at WrestleMania right. four and on. Yeah, like it was kind of like the gold and beige one. Yeah, Yeah. it was just the actual logo, but like a big lamp. It was like a light, you know. And and uh, light up, man. If I could have one of those, but anyway, I got the the Eichel Pro too. So (laughs) you know, it's funny, Phil. I I was I lost a lot of stuff in a move years ago, and I had a lot of XPW memorabilia stuff that just got lost. Um, but I know you still have a lot of stuff because you you busted it out on the Extreme Memory Show, man. Yeah, I got all those all the first edition shirts, <laughs> all and, of them. Yeah, and the programs and the programs. Yeah. yeah, and then the Extreme Associates magazines. It's and, like yeah. Yeah, so much stuff, man. Right. Um, yeah, it was it was time. Hey, Matt, you know it's funny. Uh, speaking of these, the LA arenas, I'm going to SoFi tonight. It's the first time ever SoFi Stadium. Yep. I'm going with with our friends uh, Jeff Hutchinson and Andrew Medina did this uh, that vaccination concert. So it's going to be my first time seeing SoFi Stadium. Yeah, that's we'll good. see what SoFi's like. Wow. Yeah. So Chris, I oh, I don't know if you know, yeah, but Matt yeah, Matt and I are friends just, independently from wrestling. Like we we know each other like outside of wrestling. Small so world. We got all these mutual friends like outside of wrestling too. Oh, wow. It's kind of a weird small world. Yeah. Um, All right. yeah, really quick, my, my, uh, my favorite arena, can you guys still hear me? Yeah, yep, I got you. My uh, favorite arena. Mm-hmm. Okay. My favorite arena in LA happened to be the, uh, Olympic, uh, arena, the, uh, you know, that, that atmosphere of that arena was amazing because it was even smaller than anything else. Right. I only went to and one show. Back to the- I only went to one show and Chris, ironically, it was Heatwave. Um <laughs> and um I I don't know how this happened. I was sitting right next to 
Kevin and Darren and what and everybody. I was sitting next to all the guys like up on the balcony. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know how my tickets ended up next to them. Um but like when all that shit started going down, like they all like ran outside when you know you guys were having your scuffle. And it, it like so many fans were coming up to me going Phil, what's going on? You know, there's something going on outside. You know, there's a fight. Are you going to go outside? Like, I'm. I was like, no, I'm not involved anymore. <laughs> like, I don't know what's going on. Wow. But know, like, yeah, during that. that main event, everybody was coming up to me. I like, never, I never knew that till right now, dude. I don't yeah, think you ever yeah. knew that. Yeah, and the whole time Kevin was on his cell phone. The whole time with right. Rob, the entire right. event. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that I never knew that until right now. And the fact that you were up there with all those guys, that's kind of, again, small world. Small like, world, man. I didn't even buy the tickets. It was like my buddy bought the tickets. So, wow. it was just, yeah. And I, ironically enough, um, all of us were there. But none of us. Oh, you were there, there too. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, um, I went with uh, some chick who worked at Universal at the time. And she had never been to a wrestling show. And Whoa. Her first event. So, Chris, that's that's how we all know each other. Matt and I used to be tour guides at Universal Studios like a million years ago. That's and awesome. so that's that's how we, like, our little that's cool. Group. Very yeah. cool. And we never worked together because I was uh, forced out right, right before Phil started. So, oh. it, yeah, it was, it was, uh, I worked there during some, fun times because we could do any fucking thing we used to because i was training at that point in wrestling um we had there's that bridge that goes down to uh, the escalate you know you got escalators going down to the tram mm -hmm. and on a hot summer's day that bridge would back up for fucking miles right so what we noticed is our break room was very visible for people standing in that line so i decided one day to have uh so Dennis uh, was the one, Phil, who decided, uh, you know, hey, let's wrestle. So he, you know, he'd do shit like throw me into the vending machines and stuff. And, you know, everything was catching the eye of these people. We got people just fucking watching. And he decides to take a garbage can, fucking heavy ass garbage can, and he smashes it straight into my forehead. And. I thought to myself, you know, I sold it. And I thought to myself, boy, that fucking hurt. And all of a sudden I feel trickles of blood just coming down. I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm cut open. We look at the bottom of the garbage can. It had one of those X braces on it that was made out of the hardest fucking plastic. He literally busted me open. Two minutes later, Matt, you have a tram tour. Oh, no. Yeah, so I had to do. You, need, you needed a phenomenal Phil headband. Yeah, it wasn't available. It was the uh, <laughs> you had to take paper, fucking you know, paper and fucking put it on your forehead and do the whole tour, holding on your forehead <laughs> so the blood would just fucking drip down your face. Uh, when you're talking and then you were fired shortly after. Uh, <laughs> well, you know it's funny. funny. So like I know that area that you're talking about. That area. So Chris, this is interesting. Like the um, the Universal Amphitheater was right there. Like it was the backstage area of the Universal Amphitheater. Right. And when I was working there, they did the WWE Hall of Fame there um, for it was WrestleMania 2005. Was that like 22 yeah, or something? 21. Or 21. And yeah, they did the Hall of Fame there. And um, I was like, 
I'm, I'm, I don't care. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't need to like go over there. And like, I could have just gone right. It was like Ric Flair and like Piper, and I could have just gone like waltzed right on in there. And I, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm too cool for wrestling now. Yeah, I was it, like, uh, I was yeah. Think back, and I'm like, damn it, what an idiot. And <laughs> I could have, could have just gone to backstage the at the flip, WWE Hall of Fame. The foot fight. The flip side to that, Phil, is even though I wasn't at that time working for Universal, I still had a pass. So I could get back back to the tour to that lot. And I did go backstage oh, wow. for that Hall of Fame. Um, my favorite memory is, so Chris, there's a staircase that goes from the bottom level and you had to walk all the way up the staircase to get to where we would uh you know, put in our uniforms, like a locker room, dressing room, changing room. And as I'm going up these stairs, Greg Valentine is having the hardest time in the fucking world walking down the stairs. He was that, yeah, his hip was that bad that, you know, and I saw him and, and I'm like, I looked at him, he looked at me. I'm like, dude, I, I feel your pain, man. Yeah. And it was, yeah, it was so sad to see stuff like that. But at the same time, yeah, it was a fucking great experience uh, to, to see a number of those guys there. Um, hey, so I, I got I got to bounce in a couple minutes. But before I do, um, did so back in the late 90s, um, going to these house shows and like, you know, raw tapings and stuff. Security was like much more lax back then. You could just walk right into the backstage area, like through through the loading area. And I did that all the time at those at those house shows like in the 90s in the late 90s when i was like when i was wrestling not before i was wrestling but when i was wrestling because like other wrestlers were like yeah you can just walk back there like nobody cares and uh i would go backstage and i would be like i, I saw own heart like two weeks before he died like i saw all these you know you see everyone i was hanging out next to vince and uh jr once um and it just uh you know, you could easily get back there, like no problem. And if, if someone asks for your ID, so what? They kick you out. You go right back in. And it's just no big deal. Yeah, it's a different world back then. I, I remember uh, experiences like that too. Uh, amazing. Yeah, I I still have a Coors Light beer can that Austin drank out of, and he said <laughs> uh, we we went to see him at the. He was taping an episode of the Howie Mandel show. In March of '99, promoting um, WrestleMania uh, 15 at that point, it would have been. And um, so we were backstage. Me and my buddy were backstage at that, and um, we told we took pictures. And he said, are you, "Are you boys going to the house show tomorrow night?" I said, "Yes, sir. Yes, we are. And we can't wait." He's like, "Great! I'll see you guys there." And we look at each other like, "What the fuck?" Okay, so. <laughs> At the house show, he was on the main event, and uh, afterwards, you know, lights come up, we go down, we go backstage, and uh, we wait, and then uh, he sees us, hey, you boys made it, good to see you guys, how'd you think of the matches? He's like talking to us like we fucking go back 15 years, and he's drinking this beer, and he's like, all right, boys, I'm going to head out, and he throws down the beer can, and he walks out to his car, they pull away, and I'm just like, oh, fuck it, I'm taking this thing. It's a, that's the, that's the sign of a real star, by the way. Someone who is confident enough and cool enough to do something like that and to treat 
the fan like if they're fans like that that's a true star right like not these fake fake insecure like oh i can't talk to the you know my fans or you know i can't like treat people like like an actual human being but like i guarantee the rock's not like that i I guarantee excuse me i guarantee the rock is like the the way austin was you know like he's cool like he makes you know connections with people like that's that's a real star I, I actually at that moment too he was in the the main event it was like a one of those like Undertaker and Austin and Rock and Mankind or whatever the fuck it was it was like a Fatal Four Way or something Rocky was coming out and I I have the uh, the inside of the uh, WWE Music Volume Three there was like a little poster of guys and I have it simply he signed it Rocky and that was it and it was like that's how cool. The Rock was like the only guy I asked for an autograph was him, no. for whatever reason, and he was just like absolutely took the time. Even though the the counter story is this: Hunter and X Buck, they come out, they go to the car, they're waiting in the car. All of a sudden, about twenty minutes later, X Buck comes out. He comes up to us and he goes, "Hey guys, have you seen China?" Because Hunter is pissed <laughs> and she was on on that last that you know she did run in for last match and she was taking her time and he was fucking apparently just storming angry because you know she wasn't ready to go and stuff just fascinating how those personalities that you see on tv can translate to either great personalities like you're saying phil or just like really and now you hear stuff about hunter he's like the coolest dude now because he's matured up Mm. and it's just amazing to think about that in that factor too a guy like the rock got it when he was like 27 years old and maybe that's because of his dad being around the business having the family own a promotion right you have a different perspective than someone who you know has worked their ass off to get to this level and now hey man i'm here like bow down to me because I I did the work, and it's like, come on, dude, come on. Nice, agreed, one hundred percent agreed, man. Uh, hey, Matt, thanks for having me on, man. I got to bounce. My my chariot's about to turn into yep. a pumpkin. Chris, it was great seeing you, man. Great seeing you, Phil. As usual. Um, yeah. I'm I'm two weeks post vaccine now, so uh, we can hang out. Oh, <laughs> so, awesome, um, all right, cool, man. So you guys take care, and uh, it, was, it was great chatting. Awesome, Phil. Thank you for joining us. And uh, Chris, I'm going to let the fans know. Thank you for joining us as yeah. well, fans. And uh, Chris, again, what is the name of the uh, the podcast that you're doing? So, so um, it, uh, it's at the uh, youtube.com forward slash the wrestling shatter is the channel. And um, uh, timing couldn't have been perfect because we got to uh, start up another episode once I get off the phone here. But um, and that will, uh, I can't say who my guest is, but I, but I, you'll see very soon. Um, but yeah, the wrestling chatter YouTube channel, just the rest youtube.com forward slash the wrestling chatter. And, uh, on the 15th and 30th of every month, we have, uh, extreme memories and that's everything XPW, uh, Phil, who you just saw, he was one of our guests. We've had right around 20 episodes so far. And we have a few more coming out. Uh, we're just about to record another one. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. And again, those are on the 15th and 30th of every month. 
another one just came out what with the 30th a couple days ago so um so yeah check that out and also the wrestling chatter um there's a lot of other shows on there missed opportunities uh uh, best matches, this and that, and then uh, you know updates of the latest WWE, AEW, uh, New Japan news, all all that good stuff. So yeah, check out the wrestling chatter. And if you want to instant message me, uh, just Chris Kloss, my name, as you see it, on Facebook, and um, and drop some questions. We've had a lot of fans write in, and you know I want to thank you guys. If you guys are watching here, um, Thank you guys for all your support, uh, all your comments down below each video. And of course, all your messages that have come to me and I will get back to you guys. I'm sure you've seen, I've read some, but even though I've read them, doesn't mean I won't get back to you. I will. Um, and a lot of questions that have come in, uh, Matt have been about guests that they want to see and, and questions that they want me to ask them. So we've been infusing that, uh, into every episode, you know, as, as I'm kind of having conversation with these guys. I'm without saying it, I'm infusing a lot of these questions, which a lot of them are repeat questions, but, but every guy, every guest is different and a different perspective on these questions. So, uh, thank you guys for all your support, uh, for checking out extreme memories again on the 15th and 30th of every month on the wrestling chatter YouTube channel. So, and thank you, Matt, for the Vegas bad boys, um, uh, pleasure to be on your channel and a part of your show here too, my friend. And vice versa, man. Um, I, I really appreciate your time. Um, and again, I urged uh, everyone who watches us or listens to us, please check it out because um, the, the coolest thing, and I, I wish that everyone understood this, is none of us are in competition with each other. Right. No. There's always going to be different questions, different stories, different, you know, you're going to hear a lot of the same stuff from guys over, you know, a course of them doing interviews, of course, but at the same time, you're going to get new perspectives and fresh perspectives that you probably would not get on, you know, one show as compared to the other. So, um, again, we, we're absolutely friendly with each other. So I 100% 100% for uh, everyone to check out, um, you guys, because, also, even though I was around, I was not part of XPW, especially. And I know that um, the stuff that you guys do for that, it's just firsthand insight. And that is more fabulous than anything else, because it's a time in my life that I just really, really miss. <laughs> you know, it was those were some great years and some great fucking product that came out of XPW. It was, it was magic, man. And, and, uh, and you know, we're we're getting that across i think on this show and we're also kind of with extreme memories it's like we're 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 kind of putting a human side to xpw because there's a lot of drama there's a lot of things written about and and rightfully so in large part but at the same time uh you're seeing this day these are just guys that wanted to be in professional wrestling myself included and we're finally getting that out there because I don't think, at least collectively, this is a first where a lot of these guys are talking out of kayfabe, you know, which is interesting. Yeah. All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. And until next time, take care. Biggest bad boys of podcasting.